to be able to share this afternoon with you all and be asked to share. And um, I've been praying for a little while about what to um, talk about and what to look at. And what I want us to think about is a phrase that we kind of use quite a lot in Christian circles. We use it when um, we're praying about things or sometimes we ask people to pray for us. And it's, it's this phrase of asking God to open a door. And um, often we use it quite a lot. And I remember thinking about this, and I used to pray like this, Lord, open a door. When I'm praying for guidance for someone, Lord, make it clear. And then you have the challenging moments where you pray for someone to open a door, and about five doors open. And then you're like, okay, now what do we do? Um, which one do I advise them to walk through? Which one is the Lord saying? And so what I want to do this afternoon is look at the four times where Paul uses the phrase, an open door, that God opens a door. I want to look at each of them because each of them have something specific, I believe, to say to us, uh, maybe personally, maybe on the bigger picture as well of what God's doing in this part of London, in our borough, in our area, what we dream he will do, what we're praying he will do, what we have vision for, because each of these four places that Paul uses this phrase, an open door, comes joined with something else that I think gives us a bit more understanding of how to pray, but also what to expect an open door to look like so that we can advance through it. Because in life, many doors can open for many reasons. Some of us, we are so gifted and talented and brilliant, and I'm sure that's, you know, you think that's me she's talking to, that literally lots of doors open. Some of us, we feel like no doors ever open for us. Some of us feel like that from a young age, that life has been a battle and a struggle, and we don't know how to find the direction that God has for us. But as far as Paul was concerned, he had, was engaging with God and God's purposes in such a way that doors were opening and he recognized it was not him opening that door, although I will maybe change what I'm saying about that in a moment, but God was opening a door. And so if God can open doors, I don't know about you, I'm interested to know what that's all about. Because I can have loads of ideas about doors that I would like opened, ones that I think might purposes, ones that might be brilliant for my own life. I, you know, I can reel off a list probably not just for me, but for you. You know, doors that I think would be great for you, you know, that would work well in your life and that would be brilliant. Loads of ideas, but really none of that matters. What we need to understand is the doors that God opens. What are they? Why do they open? And what is it all about? Because how else can we pray and act unless we fully understand what it meant for Paul to say that there was an open door? And so we're going to look at um, four of those in a moment. Um, let me just read these verses. They're about Jesus, before we get on to the life of Paul, um, from Matthew 9. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. It's quite a challenging word. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. I wonder if that affects you in any way. You know, what do you say? What do you say about where we live, about our city, about what's around us? Well, you know, we need to hear the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, in this environment, the harvest is plentiful. But not just that, he saw the people. 
He saw them, he had compassion on them because they were distressed and dispirited. Jesus saw people. It's not just about some big mission, about some big project out there. This is about people's lives. And whatever we're talking about when we're talking about Paul, and hopefully I'm going to try and draw any divide, sometimes appears in the way we talk about Paul and Jesus, like Paul's the project person, the big picture person, and Jesus, well, he was, you know, into the people. You know, and that Paul's not really a people person. He says it as it is, and he's that kind of, that kind of leader. But actually, I believe we're going to see that actually Jesus and Paul, you know, Paul was able, was able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was a follower of Christ through and through. That's not just the big picture. That is his attitude and approach to people. Now, before we move on, I got a little apology because I am going to quote one person an awful lot. And... Um, I hope you don't mind, uh, because it's a bit of an old person who's actually not even alive anymore. I don't know if this is what happens in your church or what, but, you know, I'm quite impressed by people who have gone before us and seen God move in this nation. And I think sometimes we don't realize that actually God has moved powerfully in this country before, not just that, in this city. We have a history of God moving incredibly and wonderfully in this city, probably not very far from where we're sat today. So I'm going to quote a little bit from William Booth today. And William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. If you haven't read much about him and you don't mind being a bit challenged, read about his life. William Booth said this, The tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who has, a, has tended a fireplace fire knows it needs to be stirred up occasionally. And if, by God's grace, I can do anything over these next few minutes, it might be that in my own heart, and maybe in some of your hearts, God might stir that fire again. That fire, and for some of us, it might be the big picture that starts to stir our hearts. Others of us, it actually might be the people, the individuals. God starts to stir us again and say, do you know what? I want to put a, fa a passion and a fire in your heart for people. Not just because, you know, he does that for a few of us who are a little bit interested in that kind of thing. No, because that is the heart of God. We have a God who is passionate still for people, compassionate for people, and wants to move in power. You know, um, I know somebody who um, became a Christian, but at one point in his life, he was on the run um, from jail, actually. And um, he worked with us at New Life for a little while after he became a Christian. And he describes one time, because he'd been actually broke out of jail more than once. And uh, one time he was actually um, in Bromley Town Centre. And he was going down Bromley Town Centre. And he describes someone on the street shouting out as he kind of zoomed past, Jesus loves you. And he said, I was so angry. He said, I was furious. Who was that person shouting, Jesus loves me? You know, and he turned and he didn't want to have anything to him, very aggressive towards him. And he said, the, the trouble was, he could not get those words out of his mind for the next few weeks. It just kept going round and round and round. And he couldn't get rid of it. And he, he couldn't get away from the thought, Jesus loves me. What on earth is that all about? And eventually he came, a long story, but came through to a full relationship with Jesus and now loves him and follows him. And his life's been totally set on track for the Lord Jesus. You know what? There is a passion in our hearts that should still be there 
to shout out to someone across the street, you know, Jesus loves you, because not because we think that's a great strategy, not because we think our, our words are particularly powerful, but no, because we have a God who has, wants to open a door into people's lives and might use our voice, our words, to speak right into their hearts. And we have a God who would, like Jesus, cross right over the lake for one man to set him free from a demon. We have a God like that who has time for individuals and he wants to inspire our hearts afresh for that because surely that was something that was inspiring Paul. Okay, just before we look at those um, four places where Paul talks about an open door, let me just read a few words from William Booth. <clears throat> While women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there's a poor lost girl on the streets, while there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. If you read about his life, he did that. A few years, few years when he could have had a bit more time for the whole of his life. He was fighting for people, the people that society had forgotten, the people no one cared about. Why? Because he knew a God who had put a fire in his own heart, a fire for the lost, for people who don't yet know him. And that fire was in our Lord Jesus as well. Don't you remember him in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling over whether to hang on the cross, whether to go that way? Is this really the only way? Wrestling and fighting and then winning through. Okay, Father, your will be done. Not my will, your will be done. A fire, a passion that formed in the heart and Jesus Paul, William Booth, you, me, whatever your name is, God wants to forge again that passion in all of our hearts because do you know what? That is the open door that God is wanting to open. It's not only the door in our own hearts to actually passionately love him despite what everyone else thinks, but it's the door that's going to open to a lost world because surely we care not just um, about making people's lives better. We care that people are going to a lost eternity. We want them to know the joy that there is life and light in Jesus Christ and their lives can be set on fire now, not just a ticket to heaven when they die. So, Acts 14, 27. I'm just going to read a few verses. Acts 14. <clears throat> when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they'd arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a long time with the disciples. A couple of things I want to notice about this time where Paul's talking about an open door of faith to the Gentiles. First of all, Paul recognized it's a door that God had opened. God had opened a door to the Gentiles. Now, actually, you know, as men, most of you, I'm sure, will know that actually that was on God's heart way, way back. It was always his intention to use his people to be a light to the nations. That was something that was in the heart of God, but now it was being realized on earth. If you like, we've sung about it, heaven touching earth. Here's this moment. God's been, it's been prophesied all through, down through the ages, and here it happens. It actually happens on the earth. Heaven touches earth. God opens a door, faith to the Gentiles, and they start responding. And not only that, he swings wide an open door. It's not just a little crack and a few people come through. Actually, there's a great receptiveness to the good news of Jesus. It is actually a door of faith. 
And you know, um, it's interesting that Paul, when he goes to Antioch, gathers the church together. Actually, in a way, it's kind of interesting that this is recorded because you think, you know, why are we hearing about what he did when he gathered the church together? Surely Acts is all about the going out there, doing the work. But you know what? Paul thought it was very important to gather people together and to talk to them about what God had done, to tell them, to share the stories of faith breaking through, of God moving in power, that those stories should not be lost or not just be there, that Paul's thinking, oh, one day I can write my book, so I'll keep it to myself, you know, store up the good stories, and one day I'll get my book out there, it'll be a bestseller or whatever it might be. But actually, he wanted to share it with the people. The people were, if you like, the book he was writing. They were what he was concerned about. They were who he was investing in, and he wanted this open door that he had experienced, he wanted to share it with them. He wanted them to play a part in it and to understand it. And it's interesting, it says he stayed a long time with them. This wasn't just a fleeting five minutes or tell a few stories. You know, I, when I grew up, we used to have the missionary who would come right, to someone's house and you'd be invited to hear the stories. And a few people would go, but not many. We're not talking about that. We're talking about excitement. God is on the move. God is doing something. And they wanted to hear about it. And Paul wanted to share it because these are their stories. You know, when God is moving around the world in power, where faith is breaking out, you know, those stories are your stories. They're my stories. When God is breaking through in one of our congregations, they belong to all of us. Do you know that? We all share in it because it is the door open of faith and we can engage with it. And, um, you know, it's interesting that he was bringing, we read in the next chapter, Paul was bringing great joy to all the brothers and sisters. This was no boring meeting. This wasn't a, you know, three-line whip, you have to be there, you know, you need to have your attendance ticked off. No, these were people who felt engaged in God's purposes. And my prayer is that each one of us this year would know afresh what it is to be engaged in God's purposes, maybe before anything else. Please, Lord, before anything else that actually what God is doing and God at work, bringing people to faith in him, actually that is of our primary interest and our primary concern. That is way up there. It was way up there for Paul. This is what his life was all about. Paul said this, that by all possible means, I might save some. Paul was passionately engaged with seeing people come to know Jesus. It wasn't for the you know, second, third, fourth, fifth priority. And you know, I'm not... Um, criticizing us, because I know the pressures of life. I know what it is to try and find somewhere to live in this part of London. I know what it is to have pressures over money and jobs. Appreciate the pressures of family life. I understand all of that. But you know what? Jesus called us. He called us to be disciples of him and witnesses. Every single one of us. He wants to put it afresh into our hearts. You can be my witness. Not because you think you're any good at it, not because you think you're brilliant at speaking or sharing. No, because he says it. He says it over you. You are my witness. Where I've placed you, you are my witness. And if you hear God saying it to you, that's it. Surely that settles it. It's a bit different if I come and say to you, you might say, well, you don't know me. You know, you don't really know much about my life. You know, even if your pastor, your church leader comes and tells you that, you know, you might think, well, you know, I'll listen a little bit, but maybe they don't fully understand who I am. But if God says to you, you are my witness right now, wherever you live 
building, whatever street you're living on, whatever job you've got, whatever situation you find yourself in, you are my witness. God wants to speak it into your heart. It's the truth, and it can set your heart on fire again. Ready for another William Booth. One Sunday evening, William Booth was walking in London with his son, Bramwell, who was then 12 or 13 years old. The father surprised the son by taking him into a pub. They call it a saloon. I'll change that. The place was crowded with men and women, many of them bearing on their face the marks of vice and crime. Some were drunk. The fumes of alcohol and tobacco were poisonous. Willie, Booth said to his son. You love these stories. These are our people. These are the people I want you to live for and bring to Christ. Years later, Bramwell Booth wrote, the impression never left me. You know, you and I, if we have faith in our hearts about what God is doing, about people being brought to him, you have something to pass on to the next generation which is priceless. Absolutely priceless. It doesn't matter whether you have a lot of money to pass on to the next generation. It doesn't matter if you have actual children, physical children or not. We all have a responsibility to pass something on. What do we have to pass on? Paul had faith in Christ to pass on. William Booth had faith in Christ to pass on. And it changes lives to have faith in Jesus. May God give us eyes of faith to see an open door. It requires eyes of faith. Can't, you can't just see it by looking around. And you know, can I just say that's one of the dangers? Because the world we live in, there's loads of people with masses of ideas. This is an open door. Come and run this kind of project. Come and run this project. God will really move through this one. You know, there's just, you, we can look at what they're doing all around the world in a moment on the internet and pick a project here that, oh, it's working for them, it'll work for us. No. We need eyes of faith from God to see what are the open doors and to walk through it. And they are to be doors where people are one to Jesus. That is the open door that Paul is concerned about. It's not primarily the open door to get the job you want or to get the home you want. It's an open door of faith for people to come to faith in Christ. So the danger is if we've not got eyes of faith, we miss it. God can be opening a door right where we are right now, but we're so interested in seeing a door open in lots of other areas, we can miss it. Talking to myself as well. May God give us eyes of faith and a concern for the things of faith. Secondly, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9. I'll just read a couple of verses before. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Love to just stop it after the, there's a wide door of effective ministry open to me. Lovely if that was a full stop. It's a comma, and there were many adversaries. You know, an open door, a significant open door will be contested. It will be contested. There is such a reality of a spiritual battle that happens. We see it throughout Paul's ministry. We're going to talk a little bit about it here. And it challenges us. Because again, if I said to you, I mean, I thought of getting a few photographs of, you know, a door opening. And then I wonder what you'd like to see behind a door that's opening. You know, are you, some of you exhausted. You quite like a nice beach scene. Others, you know, maybe a nice field. You know, just a tranquil place. I don't know what you'd like to see behind an open door. But you know, Paul says there's, an op- there's a wide open door, and as he stepped through it, there were many adversaries, many people opposing, 
Many people against him, many people ultimately against the Lord's purposes. And the question is, can we miss an open door because there are adversaries? Particularly in our Western culture, we almost think an open door is uncontested. There's not going to be any challenge. That's what we're looking for because that's what our society is looking for. We're looking for the ideal world, which to us means peace and relaxation and no stress. But actually, each one of us, when we came to know Christ, were enlisted into a spiritual battle. Whether we like it or not, we have an enemy, whether we like it or not. We've got to learn how to handle him and people who will work with him and speak for him so that we don't miss the open doors. Not just open, the wide open doors for effective service just because there are some things contesting that we think, gosh, this can't be right. We've got it wrong. You see, Ephesus that Paul is talking about here was a strategic place to plant a church. This was a strategic move. God was wanting to move through this city. You can read about it um, politically, economically. It was an ideal place for the gospel to go out from, and it did. And so actually, that's why this place was very contested. And, you know, I think if we look at eyes of faith, we might even say the same about our own city. It's strategically placed. Whether people like it or not, it is the capital city, and it's strategically placed. And why is it the church is so contested, very contested in this city? Practical ways, in speech, lots of things draining the heart and life of believers in the city, causing them to move out. No judgment on that. Everyone has to make their own decisions. But these are the pressures. But you see, it's, if God is wanting to open a wide open door, we shouldn't expect it to just be easy and drop in our lap. There are some things worth fighting for. And believers around the world understand that better than you and I in a Western culture. They understand that actually some things are worth fighting for, laying your life down for, because they knew when they came to Christ, that's what they were embracing. They were leaving their family behind. They knew that actually they were going to probably lose their job. You know, I spend a lot of time in the Middle East and the challenges of what it means on your identity card to have um, Muslim taken off and Christian put on there are massive. Huge implications about where you're allowed to be buried. Who's allowed to take the service? Massive implications. When someone comes to know Christ, they know what they're engaging with. You and I, we kind of come to Christ and hope it's going to be nice and rosy, no challenges. Well, actually, do you know what? You know, we often say in Ichthus, if you want to be an overcomer, what do you need? You need something to overcome. We are called to be overcomers, but do you know what? We need something to overcome. I'm going to go through, to go through a wide open door for effective service. You're going to overcome a few things. Some of those things might be out there. Oppositions, that word um, adversaries, it means um, people who are against us, opposed to us, people who are standing against us, um, or maybe even to lying opposite us, totally in opposition to us, want to speak completely against us. That's maybe the kind of thing you experience. Some of you have started to experience that in your workplace. We need to wrestle with these things. No one said it was going to be easy. We're joining with our brothers and sisters around the world. This has been their story from day one. They can teach us how to withstand these things. You know, I um, had the privilege of traveling quite a lot in what I do. I hope you don't mind me just sharing a couple of things. But we've been involved in Afghanistan, and it's a long time ago, about seven years I was there last, um, for various reasons. But you know what? I love hearing the stories of what's coming out of Afghanistan. Do you know what they did? They brought in not the Western Christians to come and help these hidden believers in Afghanistan. Who did they bring in? They brought over the border the Iranian church to come in and to strengthen the pastors. And do you know what? They can tell them. 
And they can tell them knowing what it's like to stand for Jesus in front of rulers and authorities. They know what it's like to be put in jail, in prison. They can truly speak in. You know, we're coming in late on some of these things. Let's not be afraid. We are just identifying with our brothers and sisters around the world. There will be opposition, particularly when there's strategic church planting going on. Some of the opposition Paul experienced, what some of it was the gradual hardening of people's hearts. People start, were listening initially, and then they hardened, and then they spoke against God's way. There was also the spiritual powers that he was engaging with. You know, people trying to cast out demons in Paul's name and having no success, getting beaten up. Um, you know, when you start to take a stand where there's a wide open door, there'll be all kinds of spiritual dynamics that stir up in Jesus' name, and, uh, or some trying to do it in his name. But, you know, casting out demons is going to be something, I don't know whether you've had much experience, but in the early days of planting New Life Congregation, we did. Because God's wanting to do something strategic, and, you know, it's going to expose the enemy's kingdom. We want to see people set free. We want to see them alive to God, not held captive, imprisoned by demonic powers. And uh, we see also financial powers are shaken. There's riots, you know... I don't know how many of us, after doing some kind of evangelism and then there's a riot, would say there was a wide open door of effective ministry. <laughs> you know, you kind of think, really? It looked a bit like a failure to me. We brought a whole huge unrest in society. You know, but Paul saw it differently. He saw the gospel going forward. He knew how to understand what was happening. And these are the things God wants to teach us and show us. Because, you know, I'm here, and I'm sure many of you, I'm sure Joseph and Margaret and Stuart, we're here doing what we're doing because we believe God wants to move by the power of his spirit in this part of London. That he's not finished with us. That God actually wants to move in power. He wants to prepare us. Because he wants to open strategic doors for his purpose. And we can be encouraged. James says, submit yourself to God. Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Do you know what? We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be fearful of what the enemy can do. We can take authority in his name. You know, um, I may not get this story fully right, but um, I hear someone tells this story very often, and I like it. And it's a story of someone who um, was training under Spurgeon um, to preach. And Spurgeon was up in the balcony, like one of you guys up there. And uh, the guy was preaching, and he's being very dramatic and he was preaching on the armor of God, and he was, you know, saying, you know, and then you put the helmet on, and he, he was pretending to put it all on, and he was being very dramatic with everything. And then he got the sword, and then he said, and, and so come on, Satan, like this. You know, where are you? Where are you? Like this. He was fully ready for Satan. And Spurgeon shouted um, from the balcony, he said, he's inside the armor. <laughs> You know, because sometimes when we start to engage in the spiritual battle, it's not out there. We start to see the things that aren't right in here. The pride in our hearts, the arrogance, you know, the superiority that's in our hearts that starts to be exposed. We don't need to be afraid of that because that's part of winning the spiritual battle is being your people who actually have so much light in their lives that it can push out the darkness. This is part of the spiritual battle of what the Lord is wanting to do in and through us. I know you're ready for another William Booth story. I thought, see, the thing is, the strange thing about me, I find these stories really encouraging. I realize not everybody finds stories about, um, you know, terrible things happening to Christians as really encouraging. But for me, I find it inspiring. So I'm going to read you another one. And again, I'm reading it because these are things that happened in our city. These are things that happened where we are. And I believe God wants to inspire us with it. So here goes. Opposition came 
It was not uncommon to see Salvationists end up with broken ankles and wrists. One had a piece bitten out of his arm. Another, alone on an inspection tour, was pelted and mobbed for one and a half hours. Another had lime thrown into his child's eyes. One woman, was, um, one woman convert was kicked and left to die. The first march Mr. and Mrs. Booth made to Albert Hall, this is in Sheffield, ended up in a riot. They, their officers and soldiers, arrived at the hall, wounded, bleeding and battered. Their clothes were torn and covered with filth, their instruments smashed. This was not to be uncommon. Often every available hall or room would be denied to them. Booth once wrote from Salisbury, the evangelists have to get off the street and into houses to escape this mob. Police refuse protection. Nevertheless, there is a good society. A lot are saved. We must not give up. We will not. Many times in his life, he would be stoned, battered, shoved, cursed, and almost killed. In 1889, at least 669 Salvation Army members were assaulted, including 251 women. Some were killed and many were maimed. When asked for the secret of his success, you think, what? This does not look successful. But people asked him, why are you keeping going? They were seeing people come to know the Lord from all kinds of backgrounds. This doesn't look success successful. This is what William Booth said. I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of all Jesus Christ could do with them, on that day I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it's because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Powerful words. Powerful words. You know, I um, often say to people um, in our congregation, one of the things that astounds me now about the church in many parts of the world is the qualification to be a church leader or a pastor in many parts of the world. It's nothing to do with a degree. It's to do with whether you, how many times you've been in prison for your faith. That is the qualification, seriously. And they can lead because they know what it's like. They've counted the cost. They've stepped out there. They're not asking someone to do something they've not done. They're leading by example, and they are stepping out in faith. It's not that they're not scared, anxious, worried, but they are putting their life where their words are. They're standing out for the Lord Jesus. And in many places, you know, you have to be in prison more than once. Once is not a qualification. Two, you're getting more likely to be a pastor. You've been in prison a couple of times. It's astounding. I'm not saying these things. Hopefully, you're not being stressed and depressed, uh, to inspire us. This is the way Jesus walked. How did Jesus overcome? He hung on a cross. They thought, enemy thought he had won in that moment, but Jesus was winning the victory, overcoming sin and death. There is spiritual powers that still need to be dealt with. The power of death is very strong in our borough. The power of sickness, the power um, of of lies and deceit and deception. The Lord Jesus wants to overcome it and it will come with people with eyes of faith who are willing to stand an open door. And please pray for those you have in leadership in your congregation because we need to take a stand and at times there will be those who oppose. Thirdly, 2 Corinthians 2.12, I'll do this one quickly. <clears throat> I'll just read a couple of verses. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ and when a in the, Lord, in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. This is a very interesting one. 
because it seems to say the exact opposite of what I've just said about what Paul thought in Ephesus, a wide open door for ministry. Because here, he's saying the same thing at Troas. It's almost like he's using the same words. And Paul is seeing that what has happened in Ephesus, he's almost prophesying it's happening in Troas. I can feel it. And Troas equally could have been a place of a great center for the gospel going out. And he could see it. And then this very peculiar thing happens. He could not find his brother um, Titus, so he took leave and went on from there. You think, what is going on here, Paul? You know, the project is ready. You know, go for it. Do the work. And Paul is saying, actually, he's not just about the project. I want to say that, actually, the open doors are for people who want to work in agreement with others. People who understand relationship and working together. Paul understood. For Paul, Titus, his brother, was of primary importance that he met with him. We don't know for what exact reason. I can just speculate. But he knew he needed that spiritual agreement came before everything else. So easy, some of us. We are doers. We love doing things. We love a project. We love getting hold of things. I'm like that. I love seeing something come into fruition that's not been there before. I love that. But do you know what? Partnership matters. Not just like some kind of, um, you know, you find someone with a similar interest, oh, let's do this project together. We're talking about spiritual agreements, people that we can pray with, people who have the same heart, the same spirit, the same desires. We're in agreement together. You know, um, his, his um, friend, Titus, he called him his brother. This is not just some person he needed to fulfill a project. This was his brother. Because when we're engaged in a spiritual battle, when we're engaged in evangelism, you know we are stronger together. As we stand together, there is power. And it is important that it's a, a, an agreement that has grown in a deep way. That actually we can do something together. I was always blessed at the start of the congregation to have had that with another person, um, my very good friend, <laughs> We were able to do it in agreement. And you know, it said something. You know, the leader of it, because he always says this, out of the womb of our relationships, life is born. And that is a spiritual principle that's very true. Our relationships can be in agreement together that God can bring forward new life from it. And the Lord wants us to be in those kind of agreements. You might want to call them prayer agreements. When we start to pray with one another, God does something in our hearts. He connects us together with people. And at this point, for Paul, that was of preeminent importance, that he had his brother alongside him. You know, I don't need to remind you of these words of Jesus. If two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done to them by my Father. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. Spiritual agreements open doors. It's absolutely true. May God give us all many people who are in spiritual agreement with us. Last thing I want to just say before I close, just give us an opportunity to respond. Colossians 4 verse 3. This is the fourth time that Paul mentions this phrase about open doors. I'll read a couple of verses around it. Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. You know, an open door was at one point a shut door. And I think what is, Paul is making absolutely explicit here in his experience, it is prayer that opens doors. 
And please understand, I'm not talking about doors opening so you can get what you want out of life. I'm talking about doors opening for the good news of Jesus Christ to be understood by people so that they can receive eternal hope and salvation. That is talking about, talking about. That is what Paul was giving his absolute life for, that the good news of Jesus could go into the whole world. That's his primary motive, and he's making it perfectly clear that it is a door that opens in prayer, and then when the door opens, it's all about what he proclaims, what he's going to speak out. Our words matter. When God starts to open doors in prayer, what we say matters. What we do matters, of course, but what we say matters. We have a message to communicate. Yes, it can be communicated with our lives and choices and the way we do things. Of course it can. Jesus was the God incarnate. Of course it can. But Paul said we are meant to proclaim. We're meant to say something, and he was so concerned about it. He said, pray that I may make it clear what I ought to speak. He didn't just think, oh, well, the gospel is this, X, Y, Z, and I say that in every setting. He was wanting to hear God's word for this situation, that I might speak with some authority, with some clarity, that God can use what I'm about to say. That is the kind of door that he wanted to see opened. And we see such an example of Paul as a prayer. And I'm not going to read the story for time, because you know it so well anyway, from Acts 16. I love this story. You know the story of when they're thrown in prison? I'll just read a couple of verses. They threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing they'd escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down between Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what can I do to be saved? If you like, this story represents the ultimate open door. It talks here about open doors. I mean, an earthquake doesn't just open a door, does it? It kind of brings the whole building down. All of a sudden, they were trapped, and now this earthquake happens, and there is, if you like, the ultimate open door. But at the same time, it speaks to us about what Paul understood an open door being. Because I have to say to you, and I'm sure you've seen it before, but actually, Paul didn't see that this was an open door to escape. Some of us, that's the way we pray. We pray on a certain level. It's about kind of getting what we need, what we think we need, so we have a nice life. God cares about every part of our life. There's no problem with that. But there is a prayer that goes much deeper than that, that even in a prison cell is concerned about the lost, is concerned about other people, can't get them out of your head. Even your own suffering can't take other people out of your thoughts, out of your mind, out of your heart. And then Paul and Silas, they're singing and they're praying and they're praising. And it's not just that, oh God, get us out of here. Most of us, the earthquake would happen and we all go, thank you, Lord, and we'd escape. Because that's the answer we're looking for. That's the kind of open door we're after, God. You know, that's the one we want. But they didn't. The door was open physically, but they saw they were engaged in the spiritual. This was an opportunity for the gospel. And they knew it. They were engaging in a deep way. It was about the ultimate open door. And we see God do something wonderful in this whole household, coming to know the Lord Jesus. What a testimony that man had. What a testimony. That is our God. Ian Bounds, who taught a lot on prayer, said this. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. 
God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better new organizations and novel methods, but men who the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. I know these words are challenging, but my prayer, I feel I'm speaking to myself as much as to anybody else, that God would prepare us because I am doing what I'm doing because I want to see an open door. I praise God for what we've seen to this point of people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour in this borough. But my heart burns for more. Does yours? Does your heart cry out to those neighbours you have who are dealing with, addi- with addictions and problems? Mine does. Do you long for them to come and know the chains off, to be totally set free? You know, neighbours who come and share to you about their children who haven't left their bedrooms in you know, the last seven years, it worries me. Depression, self-harming among teenagers, your heart going out. They need to know the life and the power of Jesus, that their lives can be turned around. Let's ask the Lord to put that in our hearts again, because really it is an overcoming spirit that actually we can start to see things that are closed open for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not for our own gain, but for his. Let's close our eyes. I'm going to ask us to respond. Lord, we recognize that Paul could see an opportunity even in a prison cell. He could see an opportunity in the middle of a riot. He could see the gospel going out. And Lord, we confess that so often our inner eyes are, um, Lord, they're covered over. We, We have got scales. We find it hard to see the opportunities for the gospel, Lord. We ask you to wash and cleanse our hearts and minds. Wash my heart. Wash my mind, Lord that we might be a people that you can prepare as we pray to see the doors that you are opening. Lord, open a door of effective ministry in this area of London. Lord, help us not to miss it because of the opposition, because of the adversaries. Lord, I pray. Pray, Lord, that you'd find among us people of your spirit, people who are submitted to you, people with eyes of faith who know how to resist the enemy, people who want to develop spiritual agreements, who won't settle for fleshly relationships but want to go deeper in you. And Lord, I pray that we'd see some closed doors opened. Lord, I particularly want to pray for young people. Lord, I cry out to you, Lord, that in this part of London we would see some doors opening, seeing young people come into a full living relationship with Jesus. Lord, we need testimonies in every school of the God who heals, the God who restores, the God who knows them by name, whose every hair on their head is numbered. Lord Jesus, we need that witness, Lord, all around the schools in this borough. And I pray, Lord, that you put it in our hearts, Lord Jesus. And I just want us to consider for a moment, I would like to pray for any who want to grow in an overcoming spirit. You know, the letters to the churches in Revelation is all to those who overcome. Presumably, it's possible to not overcome. But if we choose to be his people, maybe the Lord's saying to some of us particularly, not in our own strength, but we want to receive his Holy Spirit to overcome. And if that's on our hearts, I'd just love to pray for us. If you know you'd like to receive more of God's Spirit to overcome in the things I've talked about, I'd just like you to stand where you are, and I'd just like to pray for you. It doesn't matter if it's just one or two or many. Let's just respond to the Lord. Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you for every person who stood up, Lord, and I include myself. Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, we recognize our lack, but we know everything we need is in you. 
I ask, Lord Jesus, that you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, your spirit of power, your spirit of anointing, your spirit of clarity, Lord. I pray you would fill us with faith, Lord. Your word says we can receive a gift of faith, and I pray, Lord, for us, we would receive a gift of faith that would enable us to overcome in Jesus' name. Lord, we recognize some of us face a lot of opposition, maybe even in our families. Lord, in your name, we ask you to anoint us to overcome, to not become like the world, but to become more like you, to be transformed from the inside out by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, cause our faces to shine. Lord, like Stephen's face shone in the face of opposition. Lord, fill us with your spirit, I pray. I pray for everyone filled with an overcoming spirit. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, may everyone stood, receive your word again. You are my witness. Not in your own strength, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Lord, release your Holy Spirit into our hearts, our relationships, our lives, every congregation here, I pray in Jesus' name. For the sake of this part of London, we say, Lord, do it again. Lord, fall on your people again in power. Move us out in the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.